Welcome to episode 205 of X-Lapsed, where, um, I guess a little real talk to start things out here. Uh, this is going to be a uh, mostly negative episode. I figure I should get that out up front. Uh, if you don't want to hear me ranting about how much I dislike a book, uh, this is probably your uh, best chance to uh, nope out. I won't take it personally. Um, the last thing I ever wanted to become when I started doing anything online, really, uh, blogging, podcasting, in any, you know, shape, form, or fashion. I didn't want to be one of those angry reviewers, right? We're all familiar with the angry reviewer waves on, on YouTube and stuff where people basically just curse at things they don't like, and uh, people seem to like it. That's never what I wanted to become here. Um, if anything, I've kind of gone the other direction where I'm usually called out for being uh, too uh, lenient, on things here, uh, and I guess at worst, uh, riding the fence as to not offend anybody. But here, um, well, this is a this is a truly awful book that we're about to discuss here. Um, and of course, opinions are uh, are different. Of course, if you have any different thoughts on this issue, I would love to hear them. But I figured I should start with a little. Uh, you know, public service announcement to give you guys the opportunity to hit the stop button and hit the delete button and, you know, maybe come back another day. Let's get into it. X-Corp number one, July 2021 cover date. The story is called Simply Superior, which, I mean, that's kind of funny. Uh, written by Teeny Howard with art by Alberto Fochi. Colors, Sonny Go. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller. Head of X's Hickman. Edits, Amaro, White, Sabolski, cover price, five friggin' dollars. And this one went on sale May 12 of 2021. So let's start by answering a question. Just, uh, what in the hell is X-Corp? Well, it seems like it's one of the very few elements of the Grant Morrison run that our CCO is uh, going to let the X-Men Brain Trust play with. So uh, basically, we have X-Corp and Jumbo Carnation, then. Okay. Anyway... Back in the Grant Morrison days, the X-Corporation wasn't so much a for-profit outfit like it's going to appear to be here. They were more about helping to work toward equal rights for mutants, which, um, you know, I gotta say, it was much more interesting that way. Now, it feels like we're gonna be getting something kinda like Joe Casey's Wildcats 3.0, which was also far more interesting than anything we're about to read. So, let's get into it. We open at X-Corp Island, I guess? Um, it's an entire island devoted to this really boring idea. If you've ever played Final Fantasy VIII, and remember the gardens where the uh, seeds, you know, your characters trained, it's kind of like that. And later we're going to find out it's almost exactly 
like that. Um, Monet and Warren are shooting an advertisement for X-Corp here, though I couldn't begin to tell you who they're trying to advertise to. You know, I thought the mutant magic meds were Krakoa's only export, and that was all being handled, like, diplomatically or via, you know, the Hellfire trading crew rather than corporately. Maybe I'm thinking too hard? I don't know. Now, this ad shows Forge and Sunspot doing some vague things. A bunch of Madroxes in a lab, and Bishop being fitted for an outfit by Jumbo Friggin' Carnation because we must never ever forget about Jumbo and the Hellfire Gala, right? We gotta be reminded. Now, it ends with Warren welcoming whoever is watching this to X-Corp, and Monet drops the line, we're simply superior. Superior to what? (laughs) Your guess is as good as mine. Double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Penance, I hate calling Monet Penance, but that's what they're calling her, Angel Trinary, Trinary, however we're gonna say that. She's gonna become our Dakin Dakin, I think. And the multiple man, Madrox. Back to comics, and the advertisement wraps up. Now, it looks like it's being shot by Wind Dancer, who we recently saw blow her own brains out in Adam X's uh, Mojoverse show. She tells Monet that the Simply Superior line hasn't been approved as a slogan yet. She doesn't tell her that it's just plain stupid, though. Now, the gimmick here, as far as I can guess, is that uh, Warren and Monet are two very different types of. Ugh, CXO. Now, Warren is more even-keeled and mature. Monet is a hothead who views herself as being more important than everyone around her. And I'll give them this much, that's actually in line with their established personalities. Now, it doesn't quite tell us why Monet is in such a high-ranking position here, other than, hey, remember that X-Corp cameo from the Empire miniseries? Monet was in that, right? Hmm? Uh, We're told here that she's really good at boardroom stuff, despite the fact that I don't think we've ever seen her in one before. Anyway, Monet is far too busy to stick around and reshoot the ad, and has a condescending chat with Warren as they walk through a gateway to meet with Professor X. So, let's head to the Quiet Council chamber. Uh, Professor X is here all by his lonesome. It's not an official Quiet Council meeting, it's just a little uh, meet-and-greet, a little get-together. And so we get a couple of pages, uh, a couple more pages here, to drive the point home that... Warren and Monet are two very different types of CXO. Now, Xavier gives them the okay to start recruiting for an X-Corp expanded board of directors. So, how's about we spend a bunch of pages gathering a team, then? We jump to Monet as Penance, which is something I still don't entirely understand. Uh, I mean, didn't we see Monet with two little Penance girls in an early issue of New Mutants? I don't know. Maybe I, maybe it happened during my hiatus. Whatever. Anyway, Monet is in Tardeo, Mumbai, India, where she's fighting some bad guys who have descended on Trinary, Trinary. Now, Trinary, Trinary, is from X-Men Red, but we did see her chatting up back in Excalibur number one. That was like, I think that was her only appearance in the post-Hox-Pox era to this point. Now, she's a mutant hacker of sorts and can communicate with technology. Here, she's being attacked by the Indian Mutant Defense Force, the IMDF, who had the unmitigated nerve to try and nab her for hacking into some large bank accounts. I mean, that's kind of breaking the law, right? I mean, Trinary, Trinary, is in the wrong here, yes? Hmm? She attempts to explain to Monet, but Monet says she already knows everything because she read her mind. I don't remember that being one of Monet's powers, but I guess we'll allow it. Do we have an actual list of Monet's powers? It seems like she's just the deus ex machina character, right? Whatever power's needed is the one she's got. 
Like, maybe she should be a member of the Brotherhood of Dada or something over in the uh, Morrison Doom Patrol. I don't know. We do find out here that Monet can only use telepathy when she's not in her penance form. Very important, only it's not. Put a pin in that for now. Anyway, Monet offers Trinary Trinary a position on the board. Trinary Trinary decides to start right away and begins communicating with the X-Corp HQ. Now, she immediately finds and, res- and resolves 417 instances of vicious malware. Now, I hear you asking, what's all Warren Worthington up to? Oh, let's shift scenes to a less abrasive character and check out what he's up to. He's in Angra dos Reis, Brazil? Okay. Now, he's here to chat up Jean-Pierre Cole, who we last saw in House of X Number 1. He was one of those ambassadors on the Magneto Magic Mystery Tour in Jerusalem. He's not only an ambassador, though, he's a businessman, so, ooh, the intrigue. Uh, Looks like his gimmick had something to do with breeding weird mutant horses for racing, and so we see a stable full of rather strange horses. Uh, Some have wings, one's on fire. (laughs) I guess it's something, I guess. Now, this Cole tries to give us a weird analogy here. He compares horse racing to mutant superiority or something. It's really very poorly done and doesn't have, like, one-tenth the impact I think it's supposed to. He then reveals that he's suing Krakoa after selling his company to Xavier? For reasons? Let's hop into an info page, because Lord knows we need one. This is more about that lawsuit or just bringing charges on Krakoa. Now, this posits that the existence of the Savage Land Krakoan processing plant is breaking international law. Now, it's agricultural and financial exploitation of an international wildlife preserve, which I didn't realize that the Savage Land had any such status. But in fairness, since it is the Savage Land, I also didn't care. Next stop, hey, would you look at that? It's the Savage Land Flower Processing Facility, where we see dozens of Jamie Madrox dupes dutifully working. Monet enters the lab and is shooed away by a doctor, Jamie Madrox. And so she punches him in the gut. Um, so, okay, we're, we're not supposed to be rooting for Monet, right? Like, this isn't a, ooh, Monet's a badass, right? This is more of a, oof, Monet's an asshole, right? I mean, it is Teeny Howard writing, so I, I think it's not, not unfair of me to need clarification. Anyway, real Jamie shows up, and Monet goes to recruit him to the X-Corp board. He's not immediately on board with the board, especially after she suggests that his dupes are disposables. He rightly takes offense to this, and uh, more on that in a bit. But he agrees to go with her anyway, so long as he can leave a bunch of his dupes dutifully working at the plant. Now, we learn here that working with the magic meds has been the most fulfilling thing he's ever done in his entire life. So, I guess X-Factor Investigations is nothing. Where's Layla Miller? Are they still married? I don't know. Maybe she a figment of his imagination? I don't know. So yes, working with the plants is his uh, passion. And uh, hey, you know, it's uh, I can't really fight that, so let's go with it. We jump back to X-Corp HQ, where Monet is telepathically talking to Warren, learning about this weird lawsuit or international charges or whatever it is. Warren thinks that Cole is planning to attack the Savage Land facility, which... I mean, if that's the case, what's the point of bringing them up on charges, then? I don't know. Uh, We also find out here that Warren meeting Cole in Brazil was planned, because, you see, Brazil does not have a treaty with Krakoa, and therefore doesn't have any gateways. 
even when Warren arrives here, he's warned not to drop any of those seeds because uh, they didn't want any gateways there. That said, Warren is basically stuck there, right? And he also won't have any quick-to-arrive backup, you know, ex- excluding speedsters, I guess. Uh, Monet suggests <laughs> that Warren just kill Cole. Kill him and hide him, she says. The hell? Is, it, is this X-Force? Um, okay. Now, Warren would just rather, like, pay the guy off or come to some sort of workable terms. Uh, I mean, money literally grows on trees in Krakoa. They are they are trying to be a nation, right? Diplomacy is important if you're trying to establish yourself on the global at the global table, right? <sighs> anyway, he then goes back into his meeting with Cole here, and he pushes a button on the top of his phone, and we'll get more into that in a bit. Monet, who is now in her penance form, continues telepathying. I thought she couldn't... Uh, editors? Anybody? Anybody reading this? Um, she then flips the F out, realizing that they uh, got to get to the Savage Land with the quickness here because there's going to be an attack. And so she orders the HQ to rise out of the drink. And so it goes full-on Final Fantasy VIII Garden. It's like a hovering mobile base at this point. Then, some four or so pages later, Monet realizes that a light is blinking on her console. I'm guessing this has to do with that button that Warren pushed on his phone, so it looks like he is in trouble here. Maybe this is a distress signal. And Monet decides to make a executive decision. You get it? Because this is a corporate book, y'all. Jesus. Uh, instead of heading to the Savage Land, they're going to head to Brazil to rescue their boy. Madrox is not happy with this, considering that, you know, there are many dozens of him at that facility that's about to be attacked and very likely destroyed. Monet promises to replace anything that needs replacing, which is a real dick thing to say. Back to Warren, who is uh, watching a mutant horse race with Cole. Um, Warren agrees that the mutants will pull out of the Savage Land. But suddenly, that's not good enough. Now Cole, like, wants Warren dead, I think? He says, like, his blood is something and whatever. Then, the Savage Land facility is blowed up real good, killing all the Madroxes and destroying a whole bunch of recent research. Then, the Hovering HQ arrives via the super-secret Krakoan Gateway in Nova Roma, which we saw back in that fairly boring two-parter in uh, New Mutants that I'm not sure has ever been followed up on. Not that I'm asking for it to be. Now, at this point, Jamie sees video of his lab being destroyed. Monet is a... well, she's kind of a dick here. Uh, She says she'll just buy him another, not realizing that a whole bunch of dupes died and that it had been a week since he'd reabsorbed them, so all of their research is now gone forever. Monet, who is still a dick, says, Eh, you never know what you're missing then, you know? You don't have the information, so whatever. So again, I mean, is this supposed to be like, uh, like, Monet's like a, you know, badass, you-go-girl sort of stuff? Yes, queen, is that what the kids say? Is, Is this what we're trying to get out of this, or are we just supposed to look at her as a very, very unpleasant person? Again, I mean, who could say? Then, helicopters attack the HQ. And, you know, rightfully so, yes? Mutants aren't supposed to be hovering in this airspace. I mean, we know Brazil ain't friendly skies, so it stands to reason that they might find this to be an act of aggression, like a giant tower or a giant facility just floating over over their land. Now, Cole figures he could just order it shot out of the sky, and if he does so, he'll be viewed as a hero. And, uh, I mean, he's got a point. He's not wrong, right? Warren then flies up to the base while helicopters fire lasers at him as though he's in an episode of the old G.I. Joe cartoon. 
As he approaches, Penance swipes at him, I think? I, I haven't the foggiest idea. The art here is, um... I mean, the art's not bad, it's just... The storytelling is, is a little weird. He then lands, and is welcomed to the HQ by the no-longer-penanced Monet. They wish each other a happy Friday, because I think that's what people do when they work in an office, right? Hey, it's Friday, how about that? Uh, now, she refers to this entire mess as the, quote, perfect launch for X-Corp. You kidding me? Uh, also, Madrox has gotten over the deaths of all of his dupes and dreams pretty quickly. From here, we go to the wrap-up, and it's an info page. Of course, uh, a newspaper clipping about the X-Corp debut. Monet is happy that the stupid flying island was big enough news to bury all of the Savage Land stuff. Which, isn't this like the friggin' Marvel Universe? Aren't there flying islands and helicarriers like all over the place? You figure this would just be another day in the, in the neighborhood here. But that is thankfully where we leave it. Next episode, it's a TGIXF. Thank God, it's X-Factor. It's uh, too bad we're headed back to Mojo World, but uh, there's no doubt that it'll be a step up from the last three books that we've covered on this program. Now, as we enter our little talking time segment here, as I, as I note it in my, uh, in my Google Doc, uh, these little segments are talking time. It's uh, out of... Uh, the hell was that? Clash of Demon Head. Whenever you're having a conversation with someone back in that Nintendo game, would say talking time. So that's kind of what I write on my script as a uh, as a break from the synopsis into the whatever this part is. It's not exactly a review. It's kind of a discussion. You know, it is what it is. Before we get into that, because I really I don't have much to say about this issue that I haven't already said. But I do want to start by first apologizing to the listeners for having to deal with me being quite so cranky. I don't think that's what people sign on for, uh, so I do apologize. Um, I also have other things I need to apologize to. Fallen Angels, I'm sorry. Empire X-Men, I'm sorry. That stupid King Egg story with Brew, I'm sorry. That X-Factor issue that I hated back, uh, was it X-Factor number two in Mojo World, I'm sorry. Curse of the man thing. I'm sorry. I hope we've hit the bottom here. Uh, this was uh, probably my least favorite book that we've covered um, in 205 episodes of this program. I didn't expect it to be good, right? I mean, I've been saying that ever since the announcement happened. It's like, this does not seem like an interesting concept. Um, Everything we've seen from uh, from this writer over an Excalibur hasn't been that great. So I didn't have high hopes for it. So I didn't expect it to be good. But I also didn't expect it to be this bad. This is awful. I mean, let me tell you a little bit about my process here. Okay, so I'll generally read uh, the book that I'm going to cover for X-Lapsed two nights before I do the uh, the episode. Two nights before I record. So last night... You know, as I record this, it is Tuesday, June the 15th. So last night, June the 14th, I read the next issue of X-Factor, X-Factor number 9, which will be the subject of episode 206 of this program, so the next episode after this. So yes, night one, I read the book. The morning of day two, I write my preliminary script, my synopsis, a little bit of my thoughts here, and then I will go through it again when I have a free moment, and I'll add or I'll take away... I'll get into the letters, you know, the mailbag. 
I'll flesh it out over the course of that day whenever I have a, you know, a few moments to sit down and dedicate to it. And then the following day, the third day, I will record it. Well, uh, this time out, I did read X Factor number nine, you know, uh, last night. But I sat down to write the script for today, and I just had absolutely no motivation because I was dreading having to record this episode with uh, X Corp. This is the first time that's happened to me. Um, I've talked about times where I, where this is kind of a chore, right? And I mean, this is just a hobby, so this is definitely you know caviar problems here, and where I'm complaining about a hobby, but. There were stories like that brew, uh, the brew brood egg thing, right? The king egg, where I said, you know, I thought about stopping the show after reading that because I hated it so much. But I didn't. You know, I didn't stop the show. I kept doing my regular routine, you know, where I did a script and I, you know, worked on it when I had moments. Today, though, I was just like so wiped out, just at the dread of having to discuss this issue again. That I couldn't, and I mean, X-Factor, uh, spoiler alert, was a good issue. Because X-Factor's a good book, which is getting cancelled, and yet this is still around. And so is Excalibur. Now, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I mean, X-Corp in and of itself is not a bad idea. Right? I mean, we're working with, you know, uh, politics and governments. And I mean, it stands to reason that we would get into a corporate, um, we'd get from a corporate mindset, right? We'd go from a corporate point of view. Especially, you know, in, I would say current year, but I think this has been in our minds for longer than that. But, uh, you know, corporations kind of dictate what governments do. And I think that there is the possibility for some intrigue there. It might not be stories that we want to see told. It might not be stories that the current writing team is equipped or um, has the tact to write without turning off like half the readership. Not that they have ever cared about that before. But, I mean, it's not a terrible idea. There is not much meat on this bone, but there is meat on this bone. And, you know, um, we've talked a lot about X-Men Unlimited. And what an awful, awful waste of time that was back in the 90s. Except for, like, you know, two or three issues of the damn thing. I can't believe I'm saying this, but... Since this line is so bloated... And, of course, this is coming at it from a fan's point of view and not a business person's point of view, because I'm certainly not that... We almost need an X-Men Unlimited again. You know, let's take these these concepts that don't require an entire book. Let's take X-Corp. Instead of making it a 20-odd page book, let's make it an 8-pager in, 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 in an issue of X-Men Unlimited. All we need is 8 pages of this crap. Uh, Children of the Atom. Let's shrink that sucker down, too. We want to do Otherworld stuff? Yeah, let's shrink that down, too. Then, hey, you know, if you have a, a Dazzler story you want to tell, or a, or a Surge story, or an iBoy story, or, or hell, bring in, uh, bring in what is it, uh, Hindsight and, uh, you know, Ben Deeds. Bring them in for a story. You could do that in an X-Men Unlimited, you know? It's not going to overstay its welcome. You do a little short thing, check in with people, give us the tone and tenor of the post-Krakoa era with, uh, with characters that we don't see a whole heck of a lot. That's my suggestion. Let's dump things like this, <laughs> you know, drop X Corp, drop Children of the Atom, these books that just don't have any reason to, uh, to occupy an entire book, and stick them in the brand new X-Men Unlimited, or, or, I don't know, go for the cheap heat and just call it Giant Size X-Men again. We'll have a new Giant Size X-Men number one, and we can put ads in books saying that it's going to change everything, and, uh, 
yeah, that's basically all I have to say about this book. I don't have much good to say about it. Um, I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's well done. And uh, I, I hated it. And rather than just, uh, you know, belabor the point any more than I've already done, uh, I'll just leave it there. I'll leave it there. I invite anyone who uh, agrees and disagrees to uh, to write and let me know uh, your thoughts on this issue here. Uh, we've you know we've got two books that came that just launched right. We have Way of X and uh, and X Corp. Now Way of X, I considered buying many many copies of this thing digitally to give to people because I think this is a book you have to read. Now this one I almost feel guilty because. Some people might buy this to listen along with this program, and if that's the case, I almost feel like I owe you money. Anyway, I said I would stop, so <laughs> I'm going to stop right there. Uh, now let's head into the mailbag here. Let's end things on a uh, on a brighter note. Now we've got a double shot from Damien, and we got a letter from Evan here. So let's start with Damien, who first talks about X-Force number 17. He says, This was a fun but inconsequential story. It's nice to see some of the implications of resurrection being addressed. I just wish this book was more consistently written. If they were all as good as this, I would be an X-Force fan. And you're 100% right. Um, X-Force might be our least consistent book of the entire uh, you know, X-Family at this point. There are flashes of brilliance. Uh, there are, and I hate using the word brilliance since the internet has uh, kind of cheapened it uh, to basically... If you say something I agree with, then uh, you're brilliant, you're a genius. But um, no, this is a pretty good book when it wants to be. Um, I mean, I've waxed on many, many times about those uh, scenes with Domino and Colossus, where we talked about things like suicide for the very first time post-resurrection protocols, and the concept of um, you know having your memories uh, preserved, and uh, how much say you have in how you come back. And I mean, even here with Quentin Choir, we get to see that laundry list of things that he wants amended on his body, right? We find out that he wants, you know, hair follicles removed in certain places and hair color changed naturally and eyesight changed. It's interesting. We get interesting co- concepts here. Um, but then again, we also get, you know, a half dozen pages where we're fighting, you know, nameless, faceless Russian thugs, right? Or Beast being so painfully written that he's, you know nigh on unrecognizable or unrecognizable, whichever word that is, and also the odd little bits of, uh, of trivia that uh, Percy likes to put in there. It's like you can tell that he just learned something, so he wants to like interject it into the story to let us know that he knows something. It's, uh, it reminds me, I'm pretty sure I've used this uh, reference before, but when uh, Joey on Friends got like the the V uh, encyclopedia, he was only able to afford one volume of an encyclopedia, and it was V. So for the entire rest of the episode, he's trying to like interject things that start with V, like talking about volcanoes and uh, like Venezuela. Everything is going to the direction of what he is now educated in or informed in, so he can look to be uh, a little bit more intelligent. But that said, there is a lot of good stuff here, and if only it were written to be a little bit more consistent. It would be a book that I, I think we would all look forward to each and every time out, rather than kinda, kind of wincing when we know it's on the horizon, like not knowing if we're going to get the Jekyll or the Hyde, right? But uh, yeah, consistency is key. It's uh, just unfortunate we don't get a whole heck of a lot of it. Now next, Damien's talking about our little trip off the beaten path, taking a look at Champions number four, the, uh, the outlawed story. Uh, it was a, technically a two-parter, but... Our characters only showed up in, like, the last page of the first part, so we didn't uh, cover that entire issue. That would have been issue three, of course. 
Now, Damien says, I've never read an issue of Champions before, and I was pleasantly surprised. I love the character work on this book, and particularly liked the way Cyclops was presented. I like my Cyclops slightly awkward and dorky. I've never been comfortable with the idea of him trading quips with Wolverine, so I liked the need to impress. My favorite bit was him briefly wearing his Champions costume for old time's sake. It's consistent with him wearing his old X-Factor costume recently. And I kind of agree. Um, I also prefer Cyclops to be, you know, kind of, you know, he's not the cool guy, right? I remember when they brought him back after the um, the whole Apocalypse 12 thing. I remember they, they were drawing him to be more of like a Tom Cruise character than like the kind of, you know, uptight Scott character. It was kind of the, the Tom Cruise and Mission Impossible sort of a, a gimmick we had there. Uh, his hair was a bit shaggier. He was just a little bit more rough and tumble. And I remember thinking that was kind of awkward because it just didn't fit the Cyclops that uh, that had been established, right? And, uh, of course, he had come back from, I don't know if it was death, <laughs> but uh, whatever happened when he merged with Apocalypse. So, of course, we can think, okay, you know, uh, changes happened, whatever. But I think, you know, dorkism is like on a spectrum where... Like, yeah, Cyclops can be awkward. He could be uncomfortable around people. But here he he would just... I, and again, I mean, I can't really hold anything against it since he does have these memories of uh, being a time-displaced teen now. So it is kind of a whole different... You know, a Cyclops of a different color, right? The the horse of a different color. It's kind of what we have here. It's uh, an amalgamation of uh, several different Cyclopses here. So you're probably right, <laughs> and I'm probably wrong. But... uh when I saw him wearing that champion's costume, it was just like, dude looks like an absolute geek. And, uh, you know, worst of all, he was only there in that costume for, like, one panel. And then he went away. So it seemed just like a... And, I mean, it was an Easter egg. It was harmless. It didn't hurt nobody. It didn't hurt me. It was just uh, something a little weird. Damien continues, I also like the art, which is a good sign for Way of X. And, dude, I cannot wait... To hear your thoughts on Way of X. Now, Way of X, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, I actually consider just buying a whole bunch of digital copies and giving them out because that's how much I loved that issue and that's how important I think that issue is to this uh, to this whole overarching story here. I have not been quite as satisfied with a, a single issue of a comic in, boy, a very, very long time. So, uh, Way of X, I cannot wait for you to get to it and I cannot wait to hear your thoughts. Now, Damien wraps up with, anyway, until they make a great X-Men film, make mine X-lapsed. I've never seen one. I've never seen one of the X-Men films. I've talked about this before. Um, just never really my thing here. I thought about it, and I'm pretty sure I've told this story before, so apologies if I'm repeating myself. It is it is me, though, and I do, a, I, I, you know, I do repeat myself an awful lot. I remember seeing a uh, clip of the first X-Men movie uh, where Wolverine calls Cyclops a dick. And I, that's all I needed to see. And I was like, no, <laughs> that just doesn't seem right to me. Uh, so I couldn't watch it. It reminded me of the uh, the recent Teen Titans mess on, uh, is it the DC app? Is that still a thing or is it on HBO now? I don't know. I, I think I saw a, I think I saw a little you know tab for it on, uh, on the HBO now or Max or whatever the hell they call it, where, uh, where Robin says F Batman in the trailer. And it's just like... Yeah, no, no thank you. I don't need that in my life. So, uh, 
yeah, I don't know if they'll make an, a great X-Men film. And if they do, I probably still wouldn't know. But uh, but thank you so, so much for checking out a book that you normally wouldn't have uh, to keep up with the show. That really, really means a lot. And I'm so happy that you enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if it's I don't know if Champions is a book that I would continue reading unless there were an X-Men appearance in it. Um, and also, I believe that issue, or the issue after it, was the last one that Eve Ewing did. I think it's a different direction now because they're, um, I don't know if they're post-Outlawed or if uh, we're in like a different stage of Outlawed. Um, I'm not sure, but I do know it's a different creator, so could be better, could be the same, could be worse. I really couldn't say, but I did enjoy uh, our little visit with that team in, uh, in Champions Number 4. So thank you again for checking that one out. Uh, next up, Evan talking about Marvel's voices, Indigenous voices. Now, he starts with, Until someone proves me wrong, I'm believing that the Silver Fox story was the result of the writer or an editor listening to From Claremont to Claremont. It's only a matter of time until Tracy Kins joins the new Reavers. Now, what Evan's referring to there is the fact that in the Silver Fox story, they called back to Wolverine Volume 2, Number 47, which... Oh boy, um, was the first book that we covered uh, for Wolverine in the From Claremont to Claremont anthology podcast series, which is uh, probably one of my greatest failures in podcasting because it was such a fun idea and I had such a good time doing it, but I just, uh, I hate the excuse of, you know, life happened, but life happened and uh, I kind of fell off of it. it. It is a huge time investment to do a uh, From Claremont to Claremont. Um, recently, we just did the X, X-Labs number 200, which was uh, also kind of a Herculean effort that involved a lot of moving parts and a lot of very, very patient people working with me. And From Claremont to Claremont is uh, is similar. I, I do hope to be getting back to it eventually. It's not completely off the table. It's just a matter of um, making sure I didn't burn too many bridges, I suppose. But uh, in that first episode, uh, we covered Wolverine 47, which came out, I believe, October 1991 cover date, which was the same cover date as X-Men Volume 2, number 1. That's where we started that program. And in it, it was kind of a throwaway story, kind of a filler story, um, which is weird for it being the huge, you know, Mutant Genesis launch month to, to get a, you know, a Wolverine fill-in. The, the main, you know, the new-look Wolverine wouldn't start for another month or so. We got into the Shiva scenario stuff. But, oh boy, I won't shut up, will I? This story, this villain story, had um, the bit where Wolverine's dog went rabid, and uh, Silver Fox had to put it down. And we see the origin of that dog in this uh, Indigenous Voices story. Now, the main point of that issue is that Wolverine was dealing with this uh, kid named Tracykins, who was strung out on uh, on all sorts of drugs, and he was uh, he was in the business of getting stupid. That's what he said a few times. I'm, I'm getting stupid. And he tried to run over kids with his car. It was it was really, really dumb. Really, really stupid story. I think he killed his mother. He killed a dude at a at a 7-Eleven or something. It was a really weird story. So seeing a callback to that was just absolutely mind-boggling. I never, ever thought we'd get a callback to uh, Tracy Kins's story, which... I mean, I, when I realized what it was, I popped huge for it. I thought it was just the funnest thing ever here. And, uh, boy, if Tracy Kins joins the New Reavers, I... Oh, boy. that That's, you know, if anybody from Marvel is listening and hasn't been completely turned off by how I just uh, railed against your X-Corp uh, and you want to give me a job on a one-shot or a <laughs> anthology, if you're going to bring back X-Men Unlimited, 
I'll, I'll do something with Tracy Eakins joining the New Reavers. Uh, it'll be the greatest thing ever, and uh, we'll all love it. Uh, now, Evan continues. I like Danny's answer to the Cheyenne or Krakoan question, too, but I think she may be in the minority among the residents of Krakoa. Maybe Danny should get one of those empty, quiet council seats to keep the others in check. If this line of thinking is followed up on, and who knows if it will be, she could be a pivotal figure when things start to crumble on Krakoa. And yes, I loved that bit. Um, now, the opening story, I believe it was the op- the first story we covered anyway, was a uh, Danny Moonstar story where she met a uh, new young mutant. And uh, I want to say he lived on a uh, reservation with his grandmother and his little brother here. And he became kind of like public enemy number one here because he had, uh, he had uh, you know, unleashed his mutant powers here, scared... Uh, the sheriff's son, who would organize a posse, and they would come after him, and he'd go running. Danny was brought in to help smooth things over. It was a decent story, and I think we're going to see this character again. I think he is... I don't remember his name. <laughs> I don't remember the name they might have given him here, but I think he's going to be part of the uh, Marvel Voices Pride uh, special that uh, we'll probably be covering in the next month or so. I think he... Somnus? Is it... Maybe it's Somnus. He had the same kind of logo. Looked kind of like a night mask from the uh, Marvel New Universe. So that might be him. So we might be seeing this character again. But what Evan is referring to is that uh, when he and Danny were having a heart-to-heart, he asked her if she considers herself more to be a Cheyenne or to be a Krakoan. And, I mean, that's a loaded question, especially with... How tactful writers can be, or how untactful <laughs> writers might be, and Danny's answer was uh, was wonderful. She said, "Both, you know, why can't I be both?" Which is great because I think we've been veering so hard into um, the realm of maybe identity politics with the Krakoans here, and a lot of ethnocentrism, and kind of kind of this weird line where we're eschewing everything that came before. You know, where it's like, I'm not an American anymore, I'm not British anymore, I'm just Krakoan, or I'm not Krakoan because I am British, or I'm not Krakoan because I am American. I mean, not realizing that you, you can be both. And Danny shows that here very, very elegantly. She says, you know, I, I am very proud of where I come from, I'm proud of my roots, and I'm proud of where I am now. You know, and I think it's kind of the Occam's razor answer. It's right. It's the easy answer because it's the truest answer. It has the most heart. And you could see that, uh, if it is Somnus, you could see Somnus sitting there and he's like thinking it over. He's like, you know, you're right. And I think that was very, very well done. And I totally agree that Danny would make a great, uh, well, no pun intended voice (laughs) on the uh, quiet council here, especially considering we, you know, haven't done a whole lot to fill those seats, and we're about to, uh, or I think we're about to lose Storm, too, so it's going to be an extra open seat here. I think, uh, I think Danny would be a great addition to that crew here. But thank you so much for, uh, for first, you know, for checking out Indigenous Voices and for also uh, sending in some thoughts here. That was, I believe, the second of the anthologies that we covered, so it hadn't yet completely veered into Mar- uh, to X-Men Unlimited territory just yet. It was still an enjoyable read, so I'm glad you checked it out, and I'm very, very happy to hear your thoughts on it. But that is where we will close out the mailbag for today. Uh, if you would like to write in and be part of the mailbag, please, please, I beg for you to do so. You can find me several different ways. First, on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can also find me on Instagram at 90sXmen. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. 
And you can give a call to the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. I do have a message from that um, that I'm trying to figure out how to uh, download <laughs> so I can include it in a future episode here. So, uh, Troy in Canada, I'm sorry it's taken me so long. I'm just trying to uh, get my feet under me here. Um, but again, 623-396-JERK. And that's for any of your thoughts on the show, any of your thoughts on the X stuff. If you want to just tell the story of how you discovered the X-Men, your favorite stories, please feel free to do so. This is a, this is everybody's show. So uh, I would love to hear your voices on it. Uh, for blog posts and show notes, you can head to chrisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook at 90s X-Men, where uh, we're probably going to be talking a lot about X-Corp <laughs> in the next couple days. So uh, if you'd like to chime in, I would love for you to do so. Finally, for all your Chris and Reggie comic commentary needs, you can head to chrisandreggie.podbean.com, available at every podcast aggregation place that you uh, might know of and or use. And if you like what you hear there, despite of this episode, uh, I would love for you to spread the word, share the show, tell a friend or two, and ask them to do the same. It would really, really help the show out. It would really, really do me a whole lot of good, and I would uh, thank you all so much to do so. Speaking of which, I would like to thank you all so much for uh, well, sticking with me for this episode here. This was a toughie. This was uh, probably the most difficult episode I've ever recorded. I don't want to be the negative guy. I hate, you know, being the, the ranter, you know. Um, it's just not in my uh, content creation makeup. I, I like being positive, uh, or at very worst, neutral, you know. But this was a toughie, so I do apologize if I came across as a little too rough on this one. Um, again, if you have uh, thoughts to the contrary, please, I invite you to let me know here. Maybe I missed something. I'm, you know, you know me, uh, my self-esteem is very, very low. And so I always assume that uh, my, uh, my point of view is the wrong point of view. So uh, you let me know if that's the case. I would love to hear from you. But thank you again so much for hanging out with me today. And until next time, as always... I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya. No more running down the wrong road. Dancing.